know these people who have it all figured out? Well, they don't. At least not all of it. They don't have everything figured out. But I can tell you they do have something figured out. You do too. And that's what this show is about. Figuring out what you have figured out. Figuring out what you don't have figured out. And by figuring out how you figured out what you have figured out, figuring out how to figure out what you don't have figured out. Don't worry. I've got it all figured out. Hola. You have chosen wisely today to listen to episode eight of season two. In this episode, we both get to meet Danielle Tidwell. A few months ago, I got this message from my cousin. Quote, this is someone you ought to have on your podcast, Danielle Tidwell. She and her husband moved to Peru and El Salvador, so she will have a lot to say about U.S. citizens living in a foreign country. Apparently, they love it. But then she was diagnosed with cancer while he was out of the U.S. on a trip during COVID. He got trapped here because his country was on lockdown, and she was left to face the cancer announcement and be getting some treatment alone. He did as much as he could from abroad. They actually documented the whole thing after the fact in a series of Facebook posts. She was very positive in her fight, and he was super supportive. About a year later, she was free from it. They both experienced tremendous growth, and it's amazing how grateful they are for the whole experience. She promotes fitness a lot as a means to stay positive through things like cancer, growing with your family, etc. It's been pretty cool to watch. Anyway, she's figured out how to beat cancer and see it as a blessing, close quote. So he was right. Danielle is someone who should be on my podcast, and now she is. We talk about her amazing story and also what she's learned from it. More than anything else, she has learned. And you will find out that you do, too. In El Salvador, they closed down the country uh, in March. So my husband had actually flown out of El Salvador to go to San Diego for a training. And while he was actually in his training that day, they closed the country down so he couldn't even come back home. So he was stuck in San Diego for 100 days while I was here with the kids. And during that time, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So... Danielle, that's impossible. <laughs> that's impossible that that would happen to one person all at one time. It's Yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride for sure. But... During that time, we had to find a way to not focus on all the crummy things that were happening. So, you know, we, I tried to find, so we started making silly videos on TikTok and mm. we started doing exercise videos, you know, anything to just kind of keep our minds distracted from dad being gone, mom having can't, you know, just all the things that were going on to folk, switch our perspective and focus on, okay, you know, look, bad things happen but we can't focus on the why. We have to just keep moving. We have to adapt and we have to find the positive. There's always something to learn. Bad things don't happen to us just to, to punish us or to you know bring us down. It's, we always have a, something to learn. So that, that's kind of how it all kind of evolved and it's just kind of stuck. So it sounds to me like this is probably not a life philosophy that came to you in the moment, but you had already been practicing this to some degree. Yeah, yeah. As- so actually, when I was reading over your questions, I was talking to my husband. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to answer these because I could go a hundred different ways with all of these questions, you know, because we've been living out of the country for the last 17 years. So right. we, I mean, I don't even know how to narrow down all the crazy stories that we have. <laughs> <laughs> you have just kind of got started onto this whole thing with on social media. Yep. Sounds like it was something to kind of help you just to cope with your dif- difficult circumstances during quarantine. Right. And it was something that you could do 
something that you could help you feel creative, probably keep your family together. Like you said, focusing on the positive. And then it has continued since, I mean, obviously your husband's back and now you're in remission. Yep. So far, so good. So, but you're continuing to create this content? Yeah, because I, I just really felt that, you know, especially even with my kids, you know, they're, they're like, man, we've, we've gone through so much and, and look at where we are, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. We've been able to change our perspective, how we view challenges. And we want to share with other people that, listen, life is hard. Life throws you punches all the time, but you get to be the author of your own story. You get to decide how you want those challenges to affect you, right? Absolutely. So, you know, you can play the victim and the victims don't grow. Victims just stay where they are and feel sorry for themselves and, you know, woe is me. Yeah. And they're just, yeah, they're just defined by the terrible thing that's happening. Right. And then it's like, well, you know, this happened to me. So therefore this is where I am right now, you know? And it's not my fault. And it's not my fault. It's, you know, I'm not successful because this, that, and the other thing, but I, I didn't want that to be my story, especially for my kids. Um, Mm -hmm. even though I would, you know, I got diagnosed with, with breast cancer and I was, I was terrified, terrified, you know, I was by myself with four kids and here in El Salvador, it was kind of, you know, I, I didn't experience it in the States, but for the first like three months, you couldn't leave your house. And if you did, you, Mm -hmm. if you weren't going just to the grocery store or to the pharmacy, they would arrest you and put you in a quarantine center. So when I felt the lump in my breast, I was like, well, dang it. I don't, I, I don't want to leave because if I leave my house, what if they pick me up and then my four kids are by themselves here in El Salvador when my husband's in the States? I'm like, what do I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to navigate this, you know? So it, it was, it was challenging for sure. But, you know, you, you just have to, you have, I didn't want my kids to view this experience as, you know, my mom was just always sick all the time and it was so terrible. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's kind of cliche, but like the fake it till you make it just, just mm-hmm. kind of rings true to me, but in a different sense. So I, I had to fake it until I believed it. Like I am going to beat this and I'm going to beat it with a positive attitude. Even if I didn't believe it in the very beginning, I faked it for my kids, you know? And mm-hmm. then it just became habit. And then I was like, you know what? I, this, I got this, you know, I can do, I can do this. It's going to be hard, but I got this, you know? You are amazing. And what's interesting to me is that you're, you know, you're talking about writing our story, which a lot of times this is what, you know, when we talk about um, not just being victim to our circumstances, you know, we're writing our story, but as you're really connecting that with your kids, it's not just about I'm writing my own story. We're really writing our own legacy. Right. And that's something that it, it becomes their story as well. We can't just live an isolated story. No. no, I totally agree. So how are things in El Salvador now? Have they opened back up or what's the situation? Kids are all back in school. Um, they, they're, they're doing kind of like a, they, they condense the school day. So they used to go to like two o'clock and now they do kind of like, they just took out all their breaks and lunches. So they don't, the kids don't really have time to socialize. Um, which I prefer because they get home earlier. So we have more time to spend as a family. I kind of like it. 
Well, and also it depends on who they're socializing with, right? You don't necessarily want them spending a lot of time. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. With these people. Are your kids going just to a normal El Salvadorian? Is that a thing? El Salvadorian? Is that what you say? No, they, they don't have, they're in a national school. They go to, uh, well, yeah, they, they have national schools here, but you would, you wouldn't want to send your kid to one of them. So Mm -hmm. they basically private school is your, your only option. So they go to a, a, a British private school here in El Salvador. Okay. So and they love it. They don't know anything. That's they don't great. know anything different, though. They've never lived in the state. So they're. OK, well, that's a story in and of itself. I'm afraid this is going to be like a three installment podcast. <laughs> that's what I told my husband. I said, I don't even know how to begin to narrow this down for Ellery. So, well, this was always like a dream of mine was to take my kids and live internationally. Yeah. Just because I think it's so valuable and especially living in. A third world country. Uh-huh. Is El Salvador considered third yep, world? Yep, it is. Okay. I do even know how they classify these. And why isn't there a second world? Yeah, that's a, that's a really on? good question. All right. Let's go back to the beginning. All right. Danielle, t- tell us your story. Where did you grow up and how did you end up in El Salvador? Okay. That's a, that's a good, you have three minutes. That's a loaded question. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was born in Utah and kind of moved around a little bit, but I spent the majority of my, my, my time in San Diego. Uh, That's where I met my husband. We actually met at a steak dance when we were 14. Uh, It was not love at first sight on my end. It was for him, but it took, it, (laughs) it, it took a few years for, for me to get there. But, um, we got married in 2003, and then um, we had our first son, and when he was four months old, we moved. He um, had a crazy job offer, and we moved to Puerto Rico. So that was our first uh, little uh, adventure overseas. We were there for two years. We loved it. It's absolutely beautiful. And while we were there, I had my second son, Xander. Um, but while we were there, the company that he was working for basically went belly up. Oh. And so we were stuck and they weren't going to pay for us to move back. And we were just kind of stranded. So how long were you there in Puerto Rico? We were there for two years. Before that happened? For two Two years. years. Yeah. So he came home one day and he's like, I have a crazy idea. And I was like, okay, should I be scared? And he's like, what do you think about going to Peru? And I was like, I, I know nothing about Peru. I don't know how I feel about that. And he's like, well listen, we're stuck here. The company's not going to pay for us to move back. You know, we have two kids. He's like, what if we just go to Peru and see if I can um, get something going in Peru? And if we doesn't work in like, give, give me three months. And I was like, okay, you know, my, my, my overall goal was that, listen, I'll support you and I'll do whatever you want, follow you wherever you want to go. But I want to be back when my kids back to the States, when my kids start kindergarten. You know, that, that, okay. that was my plan. So I was like, you know, I'll give you like five, six years. We can play around, do whatever. But then I want to move back to the States. We go to Peru um, and three months turned into almost 10 years. So I, th- I think we liked it a little bit. So <laughs> <laughs> the company that he started there just blew up and did wonderful. And we stayed. I had two more kids. I had two kids in Peru. My two youngest were born there. Um, and we just love everything about Peru. It was such an amazing experience. I learned Spanish there, which was a whole nother, uh, challenge for me. Actually, we, uh, we'd been in Peru maybe four months and we'd gone to, we we're going to church and, and the bishop of our ward called us, called me and he's like, I want to call you to be the young women's president. 
And I sat there. Uh, of course you do. I sat there for a minute and I said, no, I, <laughs> I, I can't do that. You know, I'm like, I don't speak Spanish. And he w- just sat there and looked at me with a smile and he said, well, what better way to learn? And I sat there and I'm like, well, how do I say no to that? I can't. Say, right. I, I can't say no. What, what's my argument for that? You know? So I said reluctantly, okay, you know, I don't, I don't really know how I'm going to do this, but, uh, I'm going to jump all in. So it actually was a blessing because I was for, you know, forced to not force, but I, it helped me learn the language and, and, and really develop that, that side of my, of my life. Did you do anything in addition to just like, how did you actually, did you have a, like a program that you're going through? So I found, I found a tutor, uh, my husband, he served his mission here in El Salvador. So he speaks fluent Spanish, but I figured that I would prefer to save our marriage than let him teach me Spanish. <laughs> I thought, I figured that would probably be a recipe for disaster. So I, f- I found a, a tutor, a Spanish tutor that came to my house three times a week. Cause I, I know my personality. If I were to go to a class, it's so easy for me to either just not show up or just kind of hide in the back. Whereas if I've got somebody coming to my house, I'm held accountable and there's, there's mm-hmm. no excuses. So it took me, I don't know, let's see, maybe like six months where I, I wasn't like, like translating things in my head where it just kind of came, so came. started thinking in Spanish. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was definitely, it was hard. It was really hard because learning, learning Spanish and then learning like uh, spiritual Spanish, church Spanish is, it's like right. two different languages for sure. So but it, I, it was, it was amazing. It was a great experience, but so we were there in Peru for nine years. And then, um, Chris had like a tear in the middle of all that had a falling out with one of his partners in his company and then decided to start his own company on his own, which is stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we, he expanded and he was traveling a lot and he was spending more time here in El Salvador, you know, living overseas is amazing and wonderful, but you don't have family. You don't have that support system. So with him traveling all the time, I was like, you know, it's during the week, it's fine, but the weekends are are kind of stinky because you're just by yourself, you know, while everybody else is Mm -hmm. hanging out with their family and doing things. So we made the decision to, to move here to El Salvador. So that's how we got, that's how we got here. Amazing. Yeah. So do all of your kids like this kind of um, adventurous lifestyle? Well, they don't know anything different, Ellery. This has like been their whole life, you know, so they... Well, I know, but don't they see other stuff on TV? Oh, sorry, and think, you know, like... Uh, do you never see your family? I mean, do you, how often do you go back to the States? We do. We go, we, before the pandemic, we would go back every summer. That was kind of our, okay. our tradition since the pandemic happened, pandemic and cancer and everything. We haven't really gone back uh, very much, but there are certain things that they think that would be better in the States. But to be honest mm-hmm. with you, we love living in our little bubble over here. I mean, a lot of the, the things that you guys have to deal with in the States just aren't a problem here. Such as? The school shootings, you know, worrying about those kinds of things. Um, Peru and El Salvador, they're a little bit more behind as far as like the transgender, you know, all of those, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things, things that they're teaching in the schools. They're just, they're, they're way behind. So my kids 
don't have to deal with any of those kinds of things. You know, I live in El Salvador, which most people think, oh my gosh, why on earth would you live in El Salvador? It's so dangerous and there's gangs and oh my goodness. But I've never once worried, you know, sending my kids to school ever Mm -hmm. or to a movie theater or to, you know, having to worry about those, those kinds of things. So it's, it's, we kind of, I feel like we're a little bit sheltered in, mm-hmm. not sheltered in ignorance, but just there's certain things that we just don't have to worry about here. Well, and you're not kind of dealing with the same problems that I guess people who are dealing with poverty in El Salvador are dealing with. Yeah. So, I mean, every, everywhere you live is going to have its pros and cons. Right. Um, my kids, they go to private school, you know, they got like 20 kids in a class versus public school where, you know, in their entire school from pre-kinder to 12th grade, there's like 1,200 kids in the entire school, you know? So it's just a completely different experience where, you know, I think in my high school, there were like 5,000 kids just from ninth to 12th grade, you know, it's a completely different experience. You know, they, they're, they're all bilingual. So I think the things that they would, you know, so-called be missing in the States, mm-hmm. they their worldly views are so much more open. So like when they, they struggle sometimes when you go back to the States, you know, when people think, Oh, you live in El Salvador, do you live like in a grass hut or, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> um, or like when I had my first baby and my had Cooper, who's 12, when I had him in Peru, people just, when they found out that I was going to have him in Peru, they're like, you know, are you going to like give birth in a, in a dirt hut, like in the side of the the road, you know, and I'm like, guys, you got to like get a, get a little bit bigger than National Geographic. Like, you know, you got to open your minds a little bit. So I think sometimes, you know, people that don't travel very much tend to be a little bit more closed-minded as far as like the reality of, you know, mm-hmm. circumstances in other places and, and the, you know, the beautiful things and uh, uh, that are everywhere, right? You know? Absolutely. You know, we went uh, to Peru. We went and did Machu Picchu oh, for our 10th anniversary. And I fell in love with Peru. It's beautiful. Oh, my gosh. I was just like, this is just where God would live. Yeah. Look at how beautiful this place is. Yeah. And I was really amazed. And I don't know how you feel about this, but when I came back from Peru, I was really interested just in why there are third world countries. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Why is it so different there than it is in the United States. I mean, even when you just start thinking about, you know, you can't drink the water. Yep. Something that we take for granted here. Um, and, and just the difficulties with the government. I remember when we were in Peru, we were in Lima our last night there, and there was a bunch of signs all over the place saying like, look at how great your government is. Mm-hmm. Isn't government wonderful? Like there was like <laughs> yeah, this definite divide. And of course we were also there and there were people protesting in the streets you know, yeah. and then you have the people with the machine guns mm-hmm. out there dealing with the protesters. And, you know, I'd, I'd read a few books before I went to Peru. knowing, So I knew that this was kind of a common right, thing. Right, so you weren't caught by surprise. No, it wasn't like, ah, what's going on? They're like, people are always protesting in Peru. Mm-hmm. It's just how it goes yep. down. Yep. You know, and so it's just, it's a very different, the government is playing a very different role. You were worried about during this quarantine that you might get arrested. Yeah, yeah. Well, that wasn't something that I worried about during quarantine, living here in Texas. Of course, in Texas, we didn't have a lot of the draconian things that were going on in other places right, in the United States. Right. But I mean, so how do you feel about um, the disparity between growing up in a first world country and then living in a third world country? 
it's and kind of in some ways even having sort of a first world experience in a third world country because you know you are sending your kids to private schools I'm assuming there's a lot of benefits that you have that wouldn't be open to the general absolutely, population. Absolutely. It's eye-opening because in the, in the state, in, you know, in the United States, you have like a very large middle class, you know, you have a, right. a small population that have a lot of money and, but most, the majority's, you know, middle class, you know, have a house and can buy their food and do those kinds of things where, and then you move to another country and you see it's like the complete polar opposite. So you have people that have more money than they know what to do with. And then you have people that have nothing. There's mm-hmm. no middle, which was, was eye opening, you know, and it made me feel so grateful for just being able to have food on my table. I remember mm-hmm. in Peru, Chris, my husband got called into the bishopric at, at the same time I got called to be the young woman's president. And the, after they would have bishopric meetings on Sunday, they would want to go out to eat afterwards. And my husband's like, they, I don't understand, you know, that's like breaking the Sabbath. And that was a really hard thing, but we had to put ourselves in there. They don't have refrigerators in their house. So how, how Mm. are they going to have, where are they going to put their food to cook for Sunday? You know, so going out to, or getting food, you know, in the street or whatever is a necessity because they don't have, or they don't have a stove in their home. So they can't cook food, you know, or maybe they have a stove, but they don't have a fridge. So they have to buy their food on the, you know, every day for, for that day. You know, so there's no, you know, I'm going to buy my food on Saturday so that I don't have to break the Sabbath on Sunday. You know, that's, that's not a thing for them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those kinds of kind of cultural things you have to, you have to adapt. It's really been a learning experience for, not that I ever felt like our family or me personally was ever a very judgmental person, but it just humbles you, you know, and you realize you have to put your first thoughts aside and look at the bigger picture and see, you know, how people live before you'd be like, Oh, well, you know, they, they go out to eat every Sunday. Well, you don't know why did you, did Mm -hmm. you ask them why, you know, maybe they don't have a fridge or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And most people, they live on the day to day. So whatever they make for the day is what they have. So they don't have, you know, money for tomorrow. So they got to get up and wait, make money for the next day to be able to buy dinner or whatever for their kids for the next day. And that's very humbling. You know, it makes you feel so grateful for, for what you have. You know, at times I almost felt guilty. You know, I have so much where these people have nothing. It gave us wonderful opportunities to do service. You know, it's been one of the major things that I love about living overseas is the opportunity my children have learned to have to do service and especially when I got diagnosed with cancer and life was hard you know my kids Mm -hmm. wanted to know why you know mom we go to church you guys go to the temple you do all the things you know my husband was the bishop at the time why would heavenly father do this to us why and that that's a hard question when your kids are you know teary-eyed and asking you why why would he do this so it it really has just made so then you know in turn I was like you know what we're not given these challenges as a punishment they're for us to grow so let's not think think about what we're doing let's go serve somebody you know Mm -hmm. so let's go to the kitchen let's go make some cookies there's always somebody that's worse off than than we are, you know, particularly at that moment, there was a woman in our ward that had just got diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. 
And she was really, and her husband had lost her job. And I said, look, they have it worse than we do. Let's go take them dinner, you know? And at first they were like, well, somebody should be bringing us dinner, you know? (laughs) (laughs) We're struggling too. And I'm like, no, but that's, that's not how this works. We will feel more joy and more happiness if we can, you know, forget about whatever's going on in our lives and go do something for somebody else. That'll bring us happiness. Sitting here in our home thinking, why us or why me or this is so hard, that's not going to bring us joy. We have to go out and do something that will bring us joy. And it's kind of interesting. So we, when the kids started going back to school, I started giving them challenges. And at first, they kind of fought me on it. They thought it was kind of dumb. So every morning, I give them a challenge before they go to school, whether it's say hi to someone you don't know and ask them their name or you know, I have all boys. So it's say hi to three girls that you don't know and make, mm-hmm. and, and make them smile, you know, challenge or mm-hmm. do something to brighten somebody's day or do an act of service for somebody. Or, you know, like this morning, it was like, I want you to say thank you to three of the people that like work and clean at the school, you know? And at first it was kind of, and then after school, I pick them up. I'm like, Hey, you know, how was your, how was your challenge? Did you do your challenge today? You know, like the first week they were kind of like, uh, you know, especially when Mm -hmm. it came to like saying hi to girls or, you know, those kinds of things. But now it's to the point, like if I forget, you know, I'll pull up into the school. They're like, mom, you forgot the challenge. You need to give us a Uh challenge. And it was really, it really almost made me tear up yesterday. My son was like, you know, mom, you don't even have to give us the challenges anymore. I just do it naturally. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And I'm like, and how does that make you feel? And he says, it just makes me feel, feel good, you know, because then I'm not ever fo- focusing on just me. I'm focusing on bringing joy to others. And I was like, okay, you know, that's purpose fulfilled, right? Right. And I love that you didn't give up in that first week. Yeah. You know, there's so much pushback with kids and so good for you. And a good reminder for me that just because it doesn't get picked up right away, they're not like, wow, mom, what a great idea. Right. right. Thank you for being so f- focused on our personal development. Right. Because we don't always do it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it, the older ones don't always like give me this beautiful, you know, uh, reflection like my, my 12 year old did. But there, there mm-hmm. are times where like my, my 15 or 17 year old be like, you know what? I, I, you know, said something to a teacher and it just really brightened their day. I saw that it like brightened their day. And I was like, there you go. You know, that made me feel good. You know, and so I was like, there you go. You know, that's, that's what it's about, you know? Absolutely. You know, and so often we're looking for something huge that we can do, but really in people's lives, what is it about? We want to feel good. Yeah. We want to feel noted. We want to be seen. Absolutely. And everything that we're doing, we're trying to get this feeling. And if you're at a point where you can just distill that, and say, you know what, I can help someone feel good, even if it's for a minute. Right, right. You know, and I told the, the, I tell my kids all the time, you know, there were certain, when I was going through cancer, there were certain things that were, were a struggle for us, you know, because I don't have family here, you know, I don't have that support system. And so I was really nervous when I, because I made the decision, we did, we talked about whether I should do my treatment here in El Salvador, or if I should go back to the States. And we made the decision that it was best to stay here just you know to be in our own home the kids can be in their own beds you know it just mm-hmm. seemed more feasible to do it here than to uproot the whole family and go live in somebody else's house while I'm going through treatment 
at first I was, I was terrified that, okay, well, how are we going to do this? You know, my husband still has to work. He's going to have to take care of me and chemotherapy and all these things. I just don't know how it's going to, how this is all going to work. But the community of people that, that came in, we, we had a, a woman that I don't even really know all that well. Uh, her son goes to school with, with my, one of my boys and she arranged meals for us for three months, Ellery, three months <gasps> every day for three months. Wow. Amazing. Not a member of, not a member of the church, our same church, just a good heart, you know? And so I tell my kids, listen, how did that make you feel when people that you didn't even know? I mean, a lot of times it was people from her church that like, didn't even know me. They're like, Hey, you don't know me, but I'm bringing you dinner, you know, tonight. Um, you need to remember how that felt when people did acts of service for you. So that when mm -hmm. it, it, the importance of you doing service as well you know, bringing that joy to somebody else's life, you know, making sure that they feel seen and that you know that they're struggling or that, you know, to lift them up or brighten their day. That's so important. Would you want to talk about what you did to get through cancer? Sure. Sure. Okay. So go ahead and tell us again what kind of cancer you had. So I was diagnosed with stage 3A breast cancer, invasive ductal carcinoma, when my, while my like I said, while my husband was, was stuck in the States, um, this may be a story for a whole nother time, Ellery, but he, oh, <laughs> so the, the government closed down the whole country. So all borders were closed. So there was no, no flights coming there was, in or there out. There was, and there was no projected date for opening. So when I got diagnosed, you know, I'm sitting in the oncologist's office by myself with my husband on speakerphone when they tell me, you know, you have cancer. It, it was a, it was a lot. And he's like, I have to get home. Like there's, you know, cause I'm, I'm trying to be strong. I'm like, I can do it. No big deal. You know, he's like, yeah, you're going <laughs> to, no big deal. You're going to go get a mastectomy and go through chemotherapy by yourself with four kids. I don't, I don't think so. And I'm like, I'll just make it work. You know, we'll just, we just got to do it. So he, luckily we were just so blessed. So blessed. He, so, I mean, he was even looking at like getting a sailboat and sailing back to El Salvador. That's how crazy he, he was. He's like, well, I, that's how much he loves you. <laughs> he's, yeah. He's like, I'm, I've already figured out how I can, you know, but it's hurricane season. Right. So I'm like, there's, there's, <laughs> I, I don't feel comfortable with that, that option. We need to find something else. And it was just, it was an absolute miracle that, so that weekend I was diagnosed on a Saturday, that same day, or I think that Sunday, the day after a woman that we're friends with here in El Salvador, she's not, um, a member of our same church or anything. She called Chris cause she knew that he, he had been stuck outside and said, listen, I just brought somebody across the border illegally, you know, just how like people from El Salvador, Mexico go to the States mm -hmm. with a, with a coyote. He's the, she's like, I can, I could help you organize that. If you want to, if you want to come back home, she had no idea that I was diagnosed with breast cancer, nothing. And it just, the timing was amazing. So he called me and he's like, so I think that I can, I can come home. What do you think about this? And I was like, I don't, it sounds dangerous. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't know. And he's like, I'm going to do it. So that Monday he flew out, his dad dropped him off at the, at Tijuana border. He walked over the bridge, took a flight from Tijuana to Mexico city. And then he went from Mexico city to a tiny town called Tapachula on the border of Guatemala and waited for his coyote early in the morning to take him over in a little raft with tires. It's a, basically a wooden plank, a pallet with 
big tractor tires underneath with a little little kid pretty much pushing him across with like a a big stick push push him across the river uh, across the border to to Guatemala where he was then picked up um, in, with a, a car and drove he drove with a coyote and, and two other men to the border of, of El Salvador and then was put into a quarantine center for for a week before he was able to come home but it I was on pins and needles the whole time I was trying to to I was tracking him you know so I was like if he ends up like going off to some like cornfield you know I know to to be worried but luckily he we were blessed he was able to come home safely but it was it was stressful it was crazy oh my gosh it's a good story now it wasn't very fun when we were doing it in the heat of the moment but it's a good story now I'm shocked (laughs) I don't know what else to say he was able to get back he got back out of quarantine um, and then I had surgery, I think a couple days later, had my surgery, started chemotherapy. But here's the crazy thing that I, to this day, am dumbfounded. So when we made the decision to do my treatment here, I started asking around. I had had another friend that was going through chemotherapy in the States. She was telling me the costs of her chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And because what ended up happening, this is another story all in itself, too. When Chris was gone over, when he was stuck, our insurance lapsed. And so in here in El Salvador, when the insurance lapses, you have to have, they do like a physical to be able to reinstate your insurance. And because he wasn't in the country, they, they dropped our insurance. So then I got diagnosed with cancer. So now I'm doing cancer with, with no insurance. So I'm asking her just, you know, she's got insurance, how much her treatments are costing her there. And I'm looking at what it's costing me here. And I just was dumbfounded to the fact, same medicine, Ellery, the exact Mm -hmm. same medication, same brand, same everything, but I was paying a third of the cost, if not less, or they were paying 10 times more than what, what I was paying here. Same medicine. With insurance. With insurance. Isn't that incredible? So you, so you without insurance in El Salvador, were paying a 10th of what your friend in the States was paying for out of pocket with her insurance. Correct. So let's say one of my chemotherapies would be maybe like uh, $2,500 here. And this is with a private hospital room. I have my own bed, my own room. My oncologist is giving me my treatment. Whereas in the States, you go to a center and you don't, your oncologist is not administering your chemo. It's a nurse. Mm -hmm. So I have my, my oncologist personally is giving me my infusion in a private hospital room, in a private hospital, so about $2,500 each time. And my friend in the States is paying, you know, $30,000. Wow. Incredible, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh my goodness. I don't feel so bad because, and my husband's trying to like calm me down because I'm like, how are we going to afford this without insurance? This is going to be so hard. And he's like, you know, it just, I think. I feel really good in my heart that if we would have been in the States or even if we would have had insurance, we would probably be paying the same amount, you know, or mm. if not more. So, cause a lot of times here, I don't know how it is in the States, but a lot of times in here in, overseas, if you pay cash, you get a discount. So they'll, right. they'll give you a, a pretty hefty discount. Well, yeah, because they don't have all the paperwork to go through insurance. Yeah, and you have a little bit of negotiating power. So you can be like, well, I'll pay you this. And they'll be like, oh, okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) So it just, you know, 
despite, you know, not having insurance and then my husband being stuck, just, it just has been such a blessing and, and, uh, it's really grown my faith just to know that, listen, you know, heavenly father's not going to answer my prayers exactly how I want, but he's, he's, he's answered all of them in the way that they should have been answered. Mm -hmm. And I've just had to be patient and that's been hard for me. I'm not a patient person. So, (laughs) so what do you mean by the way that they should have been? Nobody wants cancer, right? Right. You know, okay, I got cancer, but you know, I didn't know where's the best place for me to, to be. I, you know, do I go to El Salvador? Do I stay, do I go to the States? Do I stay here in El Salvador? And just, we felt super comforted when we prayed that we should stay here, you know, and then I come to find out, okay, well, actually it's cheaper to do it here and it's the same medication. I get my own room. My oncologist here has been a dream and I just would mm-hmm. be hearing horror stories of, of experiences of people in the States, you know, and I'm just like, man, especially during COVID, um, your husband in the States couldn't come with you to chemotherapy. Whereas here he was able to sit with me in my room the entire time. That was a huge blessing, a huge blessing. I couldn't imagine having to go through chemotherapy by myself. Whereas here he was sitting in the room right next, next to me the entire time. Him um, being able to come back, you know, was a huge blessing, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily the way I would have planned it, you know? So I've, you mean legally? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Legally, (laughs) legally. Yeah. You know, I always felt like my faith was strong, but I don't think you ever really know where you're at spiritually until you face a faith trying challenge. I didn't know that I could love my savior as much as I do. I thought I loved him before, but now the love that I have for him is abounding. And it's because I've been able to see the challenges that I've had as blessings. I've been able to see that, listen, I'm, he's, he's refining me. He's giving me the opportunity to to learn, to grow, to share, to share, show others that, you know, listen, life is hard. It can be crummy sometimes, but that doesn't mean it can, it needs to steal your joy. Right. You get to decide how you want to face your challenges. So Danielle, how much time does it take you to go from difficult challenge to, I can do this, this is going to be positive for me? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you have, have you, did you experience a depressed time, a a time of despair, or were you already just ready to pick up and say, nope, we're not going to get depressed about this. We're not going to be totally overwhelmed. We're always going to look for the good. It was a roller coaster. I had good days. I had bad. Um, but luckily my husband has been my strength. So on those days, my body really struggled during chemotherapy. So what was supposed to take me, you know, four months ended up taking me seven. Um, so it was, it was a struggle. So, but there was those days where I'm, you know, want to just lock myself into the, my bedroom and cry. And he would sit there and be like, okay, we're going to feel this for a moment, but then you need to move along. Like we can't live here. So I'm going to let you feel it. Let's, let's move through these emotions, but you can't stay here. So then let's, let's get going. You know? So he, okay. So he was, he was kind of pushing me along. And you responded well to that. You didn't get mad at him. No. Yeah. I was, I, I knew it. It's, it, it, he wasn't telling me anything I didn't know. It just, it's right. hard. 
you know, when you're, mm-hmm. you're struggling and, and you're scared, I was scared. I was terrified. You know, I was like, what if I can't imagine leaving my kids and leaving my husband and your mind goes, goes to dark places. It does, you know, mm-hmm. but if you stay there too long, it, it becomes like a prison. So you can't. So luckily I had somebody that was like, okay, you know, time's up, you know, it's time to let's, let's change, let's change the, the, the mood, you know, let's, let's do something else, you know? So then same thing, like when I talked about earlier with the kids and their, their challenges, it became a habit, you know, okay, you know what, this sucks. This, this is not going the way I wanted it to be, but okay, what can I learn? What can I learn? How can I grow from this experience? It's not going the way I wanted, but let's change the focus from the why to how can I grow? So from a why to a how, you know, same going back to that same thing. Like I can't just play the victim. Yeah. Cancer is a bummer. And you know, my kids are all online and we're in a pandemic and that, that those are all bummer things, but that's not going to make me a better person if I just stay there. So I needed to flip that switch and, Mm -hmm. and trying to find the, be the hero, you know, find, find the, where I can grow. Do you feel like there was something in your youth that made you able to, to do this? Obviously your husband's similarly, um, temperamented. Yeah. Right. So you both have this outlook or mindset. So where do you think this came from? And did you have other trials earlier in your life that were kind of setting you up to be able to go through this really difficult one? I think so. Uh, my mom's been, been divorced a couple times and, and I didn't know my, I didn't grow up with my, I didn't know my biological father until I turned 18. You know, I think we all have our, our backstories, right? I just kind of always grew up like you, you just got to push through it. You got to just keep going, you know, and more, more so I think though, living overseas with my family is you really have to, you really learn who you can count on and the importance of, of having a community mm-hmm. and being close with the family, you know, cause we, it's just us, you know, at the end of the day, it's just us and we can either sink or we can swim. And so no matter what challenges we've had, whether it be financially, emotionally, physically, you know, we have to just find the way to, to grow from them. Just to learn how to adapt. To adapt. Yeah. When we talk about adapting, are we talking about adapting our expectations? We're talking about adapting our behaviors. I think it's both, you know, because I think sometimes we have expectations of how we want our life to go or where we want to be. And it's really easy to, to be disappointed when we don't meet those, those, those goals that we have or that perception that we have, you know. And so we have, mm-hmm. we have to kind of be, be flexible to be like, okay, you know what, that didn't go exactly the way I wanted to go, but you know what, here's, here's another avenue or this, here's another way that I can go about it. You know, there's a, I don't, I don't have to necessarily go this way. Maybe I can go about it another way. And then our attitude towards it kind of goes the same way. Okay. You know, I'm not going to get defeated here, but maybe there's another way that we could look at this or, okay, you know, I now view cancer as my greatest gift wrapped in ugly wrapping paper. I think people look at me weird. They're like, how would you think that cancer is the gift? Like, that's awful. You know, people die from cancer all the time. How could you possibly feel like that's a gift? But I look at the evolution of my growth, not just me, 
but my family, my husband, my children. And it's been such a blessing. It's been such a blessing to watch my kids grow and be resilient. They are the most resilient kids I know. The -hmm. things that they've gone through and they just keep ticking. They keep pushing forward and, you know, okay, the same thing. You know, that didn't go exactly the way I wanted to, but that's all right. You know, tomorrow's a new day. Let's, let's find a, a, a better way to look at, at the challenges that we have. So it's been, I, I have been able to shift my focus to be from being, okay, you know what, cancer, this is so scary to, you know, this has been such a great gift. I look at the personal, emotional and spiritual growth that I've been able to have by this experience. It wasn't given to me as a punishment or, you know, it was given to me to grow. And now I feel it's been given to me to help others Mm -hmm. and to show them, listen, you know, you can find joy even when life is hard, but you have to be the, you have to make the choice. You're the author of your own story. You want it to be a happy one or do you want it to be a sad one? Do you want it to be one where you're conquering your fears and overcoming hard things or do you want life to make those decisions for you? Right. Is it going to be a story or is it just going to be like a tragedy, a sentence? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, cause what is it? Something terrible happened and I gave up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Exactly. It's not much of a story. Exactly. So it's, you know, and I find your perspective on what a challenge really is changes too. at least it has for me, you know, so things that I thought, Oh my goodness, that's such a, so hard or difficult. I'm like, you know what? That's easy peasy. I got this, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's kind of interesting because all these things that we really want in our lives to give them meaning are not usually pleasant experiences. Right. You know, there's not a lot of meaning to being on vacation. Yeah. It's fun, but it's not very meaningful. Yep. And all the things that we want to be able to give our kids, when you're talking about resilience, you're talking about being able to find happiness, knowing who they are, you know, all of these kinds of things, knowing how to rely on other people, how to accept and how to give service, all those things, the quickest way to learn that is through significant difficulty. Yep. Unfortunately, I think that's where we find our, where we grow the most. Absolutely. I mean, no one's going to disagree with that point. Yeah. You know, and, and in a way, if you don't give up, it is inevitable. Kind of like if you keep lifting weights, it's inevitable for you to get stronger. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's just a matter of how are we going to trim that time down between our fear overruling our faith. Absolutely. And these circumstances shouting louder than our ultimate goal and direction. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Well, you're an inspiration. How can we even believe this is true? Like, I did kind of call you a liar at the beginning, (laughs) but you've convinced me these things can happen. And I know you've got more stories, too. Oh, I've got more stories, for sure. It's just the tip of the iceberg here. Yeah. Was there anything else that you wanted to share today? Just the importance that, you know, I think especially now with the pandemic and every, you know, I don't think that there's not anybody that hasn't been touched or, or right. challenged in some way worldwide, you know? I think everyone has suffered in one way or another, whether it's losing somebody or, you know, having a health challenge like 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 I had or whatever, whatever you know, right. Right, whatever right. challenge. But 
the importance is we, you know, we can't, we can't stay there. We have to make that decision, whether it's, we're going to be the victim or the hero of our story that we have to, we have the, it's, it's empowering to know, okay, you know what? I have the power to change this. Life doesn't get to dictate how I feel or where I'm going. I, I have that power and I get to choose whether I want to find joy and be happy. Even when life is hard, I have that power. I can't give that power even to my husband. I can't give that power to you. Mm -hmm. I have that power. I have to make that decision. And sometimes it's a conscious decision that we have to make every day. You know, there were times when I did not feel well during the chemo and I was like, this really stinks, but I had to make a conscious effort every day. Like, listen, okay. Yeah, this stinks. I don't feel good, but I'm going to be happy. We're going to, you know, we're going to do something fun as a family. We spent a lot of quality time together as a family, you know, slumber parties in my bedroom, silly thing. You know, we all did face masks together, you know, just little things that aren't big. And you've got all boys. Listen to yeah. you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sleepovers and face masks. They love it. They love it. I have pictures on, on my social media of us having slumber parties and face masks and they think it's super fun, you know, but realizing that, okay, you know what, sometimes I'm going to have to, it's going to have to be a more exerted effort to make that decision, to find joy in our day, in our life. And sometimes it'll be easier when life's easy, right? It's easier to kind of fall into that, that, that motion. But when life's hard, sometimes you just have to make that, that extra effort. And then it just gets a little bit easier each day. You know, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes that I hadn't thought about for a couple of years, but it's this, be pretty if you are, be wise if you can, and be cheerful if it kills you. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Because at the end of the day, it is a choice. Yeah, absolutely. We have a quote on our wall um, in my house that's, uh, you know, it's uh, a bad day turns into a bad week, a bad week turns into a bad month, and a bad month turns into a bad year. You know, it just creeps in on you, and then it just, mm -hmm. just uh, stays there. So you have to have the power to change that. And we do. Yeah. In the small things and the big things. Exactly. Danielle, where can we find you online? Um, I'm on Instagram. So what's your handle? I'm so bad at all this stuff. How, how do we find you there? On uh, TikTok, it's Tidwell Tough, but that's going to mostly be in Spanish. Oh. And then on, on Instagram, it's just Danielle Tidwell. Okay, thank you so much. No, it was wonderful to talk to you. Hopefully I was able to share a, a nugget or two of information or hope. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Danielle. That was amazing. All right, folks, my challenge for you is to challenge yourself. So often I find myself wanting to do a lot, maybe even too much. I see the potential in myself, my family, and the human race in general, and I want to do it all, and I want to do it all now. But as you probably already know, that enthusiasm can quickly turn into a perfect storm of overwhelm, disappointment, and despair. Instead, how about giving yourself one challenge for the day, just like Danielle did for her kids. One simple task that's aligned with your values and takes you a little out of your comfort zone to get you into the zone that you know you could be in with a little extra effort. Maybe you even pray about it and get that assignment from your Heavenly Father. Now, it may not be everything, but what if it is enough? or at the very least, a great place to start. And who knows where that one little challenge will take you. But with that momentum, you can continue to grow and challenge yourself until you've got it all figured out. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Sasa ya sasa